Hey everybody, this is Mark, and welcome to another episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore, I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I want to do something big, something important. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. So where does the power come from to see the race to its end? I believe God made me for a purpose. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. Run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. Welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no sir, it wasn't. Hey everyone, welcome back. Have you ever made any mistakes? Have you ever done something and then later looked back and said, I think that, that was a mistake. Man, I've done that. We do that in so many areas of our lives. Actually, I think mistakes help us to learn, but I just wish I didn't have to learn so much. (laughs) Oh. And we're not immune from mistakes in the ministry either, are we? Man, have I made a bucket load of those. I'm not sure a week goes by that I don't make a mistake of one kind or another. And I'm kind of thankful that I don't have to be perfect. But maybe it'll help if I talk a little bit this week about some of the mistakes I've made in my pastoral ministry. Might make you feel better, might make you chuckle, might help you to avoid some of my errors. Let's talk about that today. So, mistakes. You know, one of the biggest reasons that I have been tempted to quit the ministry and go somewhere else is because of mistakes that I've made. It is not the only reason. There are a multitude of reasons why a pastor might desire to resign and go somewhere else. could just be it's time. God moves him. You know, that's been the case that has happened also in my ministry. could be that... um, he doesn't feel that he's made any mistakes, but maybe just uh, he's facing some opposition and there doesn't seem to be a way around it, and he just quits and goes somewhere else to try again. Uh, could be okay, any number of reasons why a pastor may, may quit and desire to go somewhere else, but mistakes for me are one of the biggest reasons that I have desired to restart somewhere else. Starting over is kind of like a reset button, you know? It's kind of like when I was a boy and the first Nintendo game systems came out. And some of you listening to this may have not uh, remembered this or because of when you were born or whatever, but maybe your game systems have always had a save feature of one kind or another. But those first Nintendo game systems, they didn't have save features. You just had to get as far as you could. And if for whatever reason you ran out of time, you had to start over again. With that being the case, you knew you only had a limited number of lives and uh, a certain number of chances to break your record or to maybe even beat the game, like the first Super Mario Brothers game that, that came out. And 
if you started off in that first world and within the first 20 seconds, you'd already made multiple mistakes, the temptation was there. And I gave into it often just to reach over and hit the reset button and start the level over. Because sometimes you get you know, so far into a game and you've made so many mistakes, especially if it's early on. And it seems to make more sense just to quit and start over because, you know, we can start fresh and no mistakes. Um, in uh, that movie series my wife likes, which I'm not ashamed to say I enjoy watching as well, Anne of Green Gables, the one with Megan Follows. Um, I think that's her name. Anyway, every day is new with no mistakes in it. I think that's what Miss Stacy told Anne. Each day is new, a new beginning with no mistakes in it. Wouldn't that be nice? And how many times pastors have desired a new day with no mistakes in it? But I think that one of the benefits of pastoral ministry is longevity. And different men have different kinds of ministries, but longevity is necessary, but you can't have longevity without having to live with your mistakes. Each day may be new with no mistakes in it, but it doesn't erase the mistakes of yesterday, and people have notoriously long memories for our mistakes. People don't always remember the good things that we do or when we do something right, but man alive, if you make a mistake, they're going to they're gonna bust you over it, and they're going to remind you over it. Especially when times get tough, they're going to remind you, well, yeah, remember that one time you made that mistake, you know? Then there's also mistakes that we make that hinder our, um, hinder our progress. They're not necessarily uh, mistakes like forgetting to turn off the baptistry so it overflows and floods the auditorium. True story. But they're mistakes of ideology or mistakes of thought processes that um, hinder our progress, and we realize as we get into it, oh man, I've been mistaken. I've been looking at this wrong. And I think it takes some courage to admit that and and to try to adjust, you know, mid-stride or mid-stream. I don't know why you want to adjust mid-stream. I don't know where that, you know, figure of speech came from, but adjusting mid-stream, adjusting course. I think the longer we stay in a mistaken viewpoint, the harder it is to change, and sometimes the more courage it takes to change. But in my ministry, yeah, mistakes were made. My kids just watched that Timmy Failure show on Disney Plus, and he's, and that's the whole title of it, which is where I stole the title for this episode. Mistakes were made. Yep, I blew it. I made some errors, and I did some things that hindered the ministry in the early years, and I want to share some of those with you. I can't share them all with you because that will be the rest of this podcast in perpetuity. But I am going to take two episodes, this one and the next one, and walk you through some of the biggest mistakes that I think I made in pastoral ministry to be transparent with you and maybe to help you to avoid um, a similar pitfall. Unless, of course, what I think is a mistake, you don't think is a mistake, in which course, in which case, not which course, in which case, carry on. I'm making mistakes even recording this episode. I'm a mistake-making professional. I hate making mistakes. You'd think, wouldn't you, that 
if I hate it so much, I wouldn't make so many of them. But I do. As I look back over 15 years of pastoral ministry, <laughs> I have made some really big ones. And some of them were just plain stupidity. I mean, they just were. Some of them were ignorance. All of them were painful. We all make mistakes, right? That's the nature of humanity. But mistakes don't feel good. Even if we learn from them, and even if we do learn from them, we can be tempted to just go somewhere and try again. All right, I made these mistakes, and I've messed it up too bad here, so another pastor can come in and fix it, and I'm just going to go somewhere and start over with this new knowledge, and maybe I won't make those same mistakes. And probably you won't. Maybe you will. Probably you won't, but you will make new ones. I pastored for just under 11 years at one church, and when I came to a new church, guess what I did? I made some new mistakes. Yep. In the ministry, I have wished that there was a reset button. But there isn't one. Well, there is, but not in the sense that we're talking about. There is no reset button in the ministry that enables us to just go back to square one. We cannot erase the past. What we can do is acknowledge it and make adjustment, fully acknowledging what has happened in the past. I think this is the danger of erasing history or rewriting history. Not everything in our history is good, but we must acknowledge it. Listen to me speaking so collegiately. We must acknowledge it. We should. It, we need to. Or to use the King James, we must needs acknowledge our errors. Otherwise, how will we know the progress that we've made. No. There's no reset button that erases the past. The closest we have it, uh, to a reset in that case is to resign and go somewhere else. But like I said, the problem is we can't leave ourselves behind. And the same knucklehead who made the mistakes at the last church is the one that's going to make mistakes at the next church. I am that knucklehead. Now, starting over is rarely the answer learning from our mistakes, and carrying on the best we can is really the only option I think we have. I'd like to know what you think about that. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to give you an email address that you can email me at, and uh, it's actually the right one. In the first few episodes, I gave the wrong one because I didn't really want to hear from anybody, but now I do want to hear from you. I'm going to give you the right email address. Do you think starting over is always the answer, never the answer, or sometimes the answer? I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. So I thought it'd be fun to tell you about some of my mistakes. Maybe you can identify with them. Maybe just chuckle at my stupidity. But either way, hope it encourages you and helps you to pass the time, lets you know you're not alone. Let me go through some of these mistakes with you. The first mistake that I want to identify is... When I first began pastoral ministry, I made the mistake of thinking that preaching changes lives. Now, don't turn me off. I know the Bible says, by the foolishness of preaching, or by the foolishness of preaching. You'll hear that in the camp meetings. God ordained by the foolishness of preaching. Yet, yeah, what did he ordain by the foolishness of preaching? Context is key. 
let's just talk about the context of the one verse that we find that phrase in. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, the preaching was the tool used to deliver the message, but the salvation came based on the belief of the hearer, not solely on the basis of the preaching. People still had to believe what they heard. I know they can't believe on him whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? But after they hear, they're responsible for what they hear. It's the belief that saves. Preaching doesn't save anybody. Preaching is the tool that God uses in some circumstances, in many cases, to deliver the message of the gospel, but a person still has to do something with what they've heard. And by the way, it's the same with already saved people, preaching to regenerate members of our congregations. It isn't the sermon that makes the ultimate difference. It's the obedience of the hearer. That's why James tells us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only, because hearing alone isn't enough. The heart has to desire to apply what it's heard and to make the necessary adjustments to do. It's the doing that makes the change. Hearing without obedience is pointless. It might actually be detrimental. Early in my ministry, I was under the mistaken impression that if I just preached, I would be changing people's lives. And that was a mistake. I was wrong. I could preach as hard as I wanted to, and it wouldn't matter if someone refused to hear. And this mistake led to, I think, negative consequences, because since I thought my preaching was what needed to change lives, if I didn't see the lives being changed that I thought my preaching should have changed, I either changed the way I preached or I increased, you know, if two cups don't do it, four cups will be better. You know, if 10 pounds of pressure can't get it done, let's, let's ramp it up to 50 pounds of pressure. And this is where you have, um, at least I found myself in the early days, becoming antagonistic towards the people listening because I was just so angry that they weren't changing because, and then I was feeling like a failure because I would preach and certain individuals would remain the same. And I was like, I must be doing something wrong. That's, that's a mistake. Oh, Pastor friend, if you are preaching the Word of God faithfully, that's our job. We are the watcher of souls, and we deliver the truth of God's Word, and we tend the flock of God. But preaching doesn't change lives. Application of the truth and submission to the Holy Spirit of God, that changes lives. And because I believe this is the truth, and because I recognize that as a mistaken way of thinking, it takes a, a tremendous amount of pressure off. All of us want to preach good sermons. All of us want to preach a sermon that, that will cause the light bulb to go off in somebody's heart and mind. And I'm grateful for every time someone comes up to me, as they often have in my ministry, and say, Pastor, the way you explained that made the most sense of anything I've ever heard. Thank you. I always wondered about that. And I have hope that what they heard is going to lead to some change in their life. But if, if it does, it's because, it is in part because of my preaching, but my preaching alone doesn't change lives. It just doesn't. 
Again, what makes that mistake so hard on the preacher is that it brings along with it a feeling of failure when we see people remaining unchanged. I am burdened when I see members of my congregation coming week after week, and I know their lives, I know their struggles, and I can't seem to reach them. But, beloved, I, I want to pray about that, and I want to seek God's help uh, in preparing the messages that He wants me to deliver, but my preaching doesn't change lives. The truth of God's Word applied to the heart does, and only a willing hearer and the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. I'm a mouthpiece only. My preaching doesn't have to change anybody. I, I do think it is appropriate to call people's attention to the need to listen to the messages I'm preaching. Please listen to me. What I'm saying will help you. But, the fa- but not the fact that I'm saying it. See, that's, that's the mistake. That's the nuance that I'm telling you about. It's not the fact that I'm saying it will help you, but what I'm saying, if you listen and apply it, I believe will help you. So in that sense, it's not my preaching that changed their lives. It was the message that I preached applied to their heart through a willingness on their part and the Holy Spirit's help that only He can provide that changed their life. My preaching was, in that sense, incidental, just a delivery method. It's like saying the box of pizza filled me up. No. It was the pizza inside the box. I opened the box, I applied the pizza to my stomach, and I felt less hungry, especially if it was a pepperoni pizza, a thin crust pepperoni pizza with crunchy pepperonis and maybe some jalapeno peppers or banana peppers. In that case, man, I love it, but it's not the box. It's the contents. And so the fact of my preaching doesn't change lives, and I know that wasn't really a perfect illustration, but... I want people to hear, so I need, I do need to preach, but my preaching doesn't have to change lives. And I, I, I just went through so many years of discouragement because I thought, I'm a failure, I'm preaching, and people are remaining unchanged. Well, my preaching doesn't change lives, and neither does yours. It is a heart willing to receive. Okay. All right, good. Let's move on to the next mistake. I got so many more. I think the... Second mistake that I want to talk about that I made is the mistake of waiting for years before seeking to make substantial and necessary changes in the church that I pastored. Waiting for years to do that. I was told when I went to pastor that it takes seven years to get the steering wheel of a new church. All right. Now, by steering wheel, it just meant in order to be able to, for the pastor to lead in any substantial way, it's going to take seven years before people will let you do that. Uh, another, And that advice was from a veteran preacher. Another veteran preacher told me it takes five to ten years for the people in a new church to trust you enough to let you make changes. There is some truth in both of those statements, but I found out the hard way that just waiting, because thinking that time passing was going to be enough to... Um, uh, make it okay for me to make substantial and necessary changes. I found out the hard way that if you make changes right away, critics will say you're moving too fast. But if you wait 10 years, the same critics will say that you haven't changed it in the last decade, so why change it now? No amount of time is going to um, change some people's minds. 
especially the people who oppose you initially. Okay? And by the way, if God leads you to a church to pastor, and that church votes to ratify the call of God on your life, that God has called you there to become their pastor, then that means that God has given you a heart and wisdom to look and see the necessary changes that may need to be made in a given church structure. And I have come to believe that waiting is a mistake because then I am, I'm, I'm allowing so many years to pass when the work of God is just at a standstill because I'm under the mistaken impression that, what, I'm only, I have to bide my time for seven years before I can start being the pastor? More than the time factor, I think, I think honesty and communication is more important with our congregations. More on that in a minute. Now, why do so many people advise you to wait for half a decade or longer before making any changes? Maybe because of the failure in their own ministries at seeing any substantial change take place. Could be that it's just their experience talking. Their experience doesn't lead to a prescriptive truth that we must all wait this length of time. But maybe that's where some of that advice is coming from. Could be that it's from a desire to avoid the inevitable... But in the ine- blip, blip, blip. Isn't that nice? I should edit that out. It, the desire to avoid the inevitable battles that will come when you try to change things. Because anytime you change things, people get out of their comfort zone, and you will have some battles in doing that. So maybe people are telling you that, just hoping that you'll avoid the uh, inevitable battles. And some people hide behind the facade of unity and never pursue the path that God is leading them to pursue because of the potential conflict that will arise. Sometimes there's a high, the advice may come because of a high degree of turnover in pastoral ministry, resulting in a lack of confidence that the pastor will be around long enough to live with, with, with his changes. So because so many churches have gotten used to pastors just coming through for one or two or three years and then leaving, they've developed a resistance to it, and that resistance is used as an indication that you have to first prove that you're going to stay. Now, I think there is some wisdom in that, but still... Another man's failure or another man's tenure does not have to be my limitation, especially if I know this and I have this mindset going in. Another reason that people uh, may may give you this advice is because churches that are institutionalized, because there there are churches that are institutionalized and they're looking for a curator rather than an under-shepherd. They don't want someone to lead them. They want someone to maintain the structure and the institution that they exist in and uh, get their permission for the, before you make any substantial changes. I mean, good night. Don't even change the, the position of that picture on the east side wall without a, without a committee vote. We have an institution to maintain here. We're not a body. We're not a flock seeking to be led. We're not a body seeking to grow. We're an institution. And there are a lot of churches that are nothing more than a hollow institution, and they're looking for a museum curator. And that's just the truth. So how can you avoid making that mistake? How did I... I think I've avoided that mistake here in, my second, in the second church that I'm pastoring. 
And one of the ways that I avoided making that same mistake is I was honest and upfront about my ministry mindset. When I was candidating and speaking to the pastoral search committee and the pulpit committee, I said to them, I am not going to wait for years before making any substantial changes that I may see that need to be made. I will make them in conjunction with the leadership. I don't believe in one man calling all the shots. Uh, we'll talk about that in another episode. I don't think that's the biblical model at all. But as the senior pastor, as the lead pastor, um, as God, you're saying, we want you to come in and to lead us. I'm going to start leading from day one, right? I mean, when a president comes in, he's only going to be there for four years, eight if he's lucky, and even the media takes notice of what the president does in the first 100 days. People don't want him to wait three years before he starts doing anything. And he's only got four years, maybe eight. Well, loved ones, we don't know how much time we have on this earth or in any given church, but God has called us there to lead it. Be upfront about your ministry mindset. I am a changer. I change things when they need to be changed. And then you can let people know about the changes that you'd like to see happen. I told this church, from what I knew, some of the changes that I thought we would need to make if, they, if we wanted to accomplish their stated goal of, of growing and reaching our community. And along the way, I've been here almost five years now, I have continued to let people know. Some changes take longer than others. Some things are quick. Some things require some patience. But I'm in the process of change. I think you can also avoid the mistake of waiting by not making promises that will hinder your obedience to the Lord. I'm not going to promise people that I'm not going to change anything. I've, I said this in my first church, and it was a mistake, and I hear pastors say this when they go into a new church, I'm not going to change anything for five years. I'm not here to change, you know, it'll be at least five years, don't worry, everything's going to remain the same. How are you going to, you know, I, I can love people for five years, I can preach the Word of God for five years, but I can't really lead our church to grow in any meaningful ways if I've already promised that I won't change anything. Besides, I don't know everything that might need to be changed. Every single church that you might go into pastor is going to have a drawer somewhere that shut or a closet somewhere that contains some things that you didn't know about and may need to be addressed. But if you've already made the promise that you won't change anything, well, now you either have to go back on your word or you have to just sit there and not be obedient to how the Lord might work on your heart. So be honest right up front. If the Lord directs the leadership that a change needs to be made, we're going to seek to make that change in as quick a time as is reasonable. Also, preach on the difference between re change and repentance and growth. Now, every time you talk about change, there are people, even, even preachers, you know, especially those that are, that are trying to uh, prop up uh, an institutionalized system, you know, um, they'll, they'll, they'll quote to you, they'll say, well, bless God, don't you know, the Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. Right. Who said that, by the way? Oh, that's right. The Lord said that. Who is the only one that could say, I change not, and we can have the confidence that he is perfectly right and true? Only God. The fact that God never changes is given to us as security and is part of the greatness of God, but loved ones, we are not perfect. We are not without error. And so I don't think God saying, I'm the Lord, I change not, means that however you are today is the way you should be forever and ever and ever, and that every way that a church currently exists, every ministry mindset, every tradition, um, once in place, must never, ever, 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 ever change. 
Well, you know, bless God, the Jesus said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right, Jesus is God. He didn't say Paul the Apostle, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Apostle Paul went through immense changes. For example, in Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The fact that he learned it means to me that at one time he needed to learn a lesson which required change, and he learned and changed in a positive way to become more contented in his life. He said, I've learned this. I've learned it. We all need to learn and to grow. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Do you know what you could also say? That you may change thereby. Because change is growth. Or growth indicates change. Now, I know there's good change and there's bad change. But in many denominations, especially the movement that I was brought up in, change is a dirty word. We don't even change diapers because change is bad. No, sometimes things need to be changed. We're not the Lord. We didn't start out perfect, and we're supposed to be on the path to perfection. We're also a body, and bodies grow, change, and adjust to our environments. Now, change can be good. And change is part of the plan of God in our lives. We're going to be changed at the resurrection. Second, uh, um, Let's see here. 2 Corinthians 3, you know, um, we'll, uh, we, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Because Christ is the one who never changes, but we are in desperate need of change, both physically, spiritually, and organizationally. From time to time, things need to be brought into line. So let people know that if change is something that will promote spiritual health and make reaching people and edifying believers more attainable, you're just going to pursue it. Say, well, if I say that, they won't call me to pastor. Uh, If they don't want you to lead them in any substantial way, I I don't know why you would want to pastor there. I'm not interested in just having a position where I can be comfortable and, you know, maintain a museum of artifacts. Man, I want to serve in a dynamic church that's seeking to grow and Serve the Lord. Well, I'm out of time, and we've only gotten through two of the mistakes that I made early on in my ministry. And I wonder, again, I know that some people will just go up one side and down the other of anybody who suggests, because, you know, you've got those two verses I've mentioned, you've got Proverbs that says, meddle not not with them that are given to change. And again, these are people that that there's no um, solid footing in their life. They just... um, all the time, they change for the sake of change. I hope you know I'm not talking about changing things for the sake of changing things, because I'm dissatisfied with the color of carpet, so I want to change it. Specifically in in areas of ministry, though, and how our churches are structured, and how we're set up to reach people, and how we're able to disciple converts, and all of these things, as we examine the ministry that God has called us to, sometimes change is necessary. And sometimes one way of doing things is good for today, but in 10 years we may find out that it requires a little bit of change. But the longer things go without being changed, the more institutional they become. The more institutionalized they become, the harder they are to change. So, at this church, and if God ever leads me from here to another church, I will do the same thing. I will say at the outset, I want you to know 
my passion and my personality and my belief is that if you're calling me here to be your lead pastor, I will not be afraid from day one to begin identifying any areas that need to be changed, and I will seek to lead you in that change. And I'll, I'll talk... I'll talk in another episode about how to lead a church to make changes, because here at our church at Second Baptist, we've made some amazing um, uh, changes that should have you know, caused World War III, but they didn't. I think there is a wise and a kind and a loving way to make changes. I'm not talking about willy-nilly changes or dictatorships, and I hate that you even have to, you know, clarify and define all those things, but uh, I am ta- part of pastoring is loving people, and part of loving people is not allowing them to remain in a condition that is unhealthy or unwise. So those are two mistakes that I've made in the ministry. If you disagree with me, please let me know, but do so kindly. I'd appreciate that. And if you have any questions about it, or maybe let me know your own stories in regard to that, you could email me at thispoorpastor at gmail.com, thispoorpastor at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll do my best to reach out and, and let you know. I mean, this podcast is just getting started, so it's not as if I'm getting inundated with emails. In fact, to be completely transparent and honest, I ain't got one yet. But for the first three episodes, I gave the wrong email address, so there is that. Hey, I hope you guys are going to have a phenomenal week. Trust the Lord. Let's make sure we stay in our Bibles. Just know that if you are struggling and you feel like sometimes you are a poor pastor, I'm right there with you. But God has called us to the place where we are serving, and we have the awesome privilege of serving the people of God. Never forget that. With all of their difficulties, with all of their warts, with all of their idiosyncrasies, They are God's people. What a privilege it is to serve God's people. We need to do so with boldness and compassion, with wisdom and humility. And I know that's your heart. You wouldn't be in pastoral ministry if that wasn't your heart. So you are special. You are the men of God. You are the servants of God sent to His church to lead under His direction and I am on your side. Reach out and let me know if I can do anything to help you. I'll be praying for you. And I'll be back next week right here on this Poor Pastors Podcast. God bless you guys.